In this episode of Carolyn Talks, I have a chat with storyboard artist and illustrator Perlo. Pearl has recently worked on films such as Hair Love, which won the Oscar for Best Animated Short. She's also created her first autobiographical comic, Tension, where she discusses her relationship with her hair and growing up as a biracial child in Vancouver, Canada. During our chat, chat Pearl and I talk about food, her art, and how it helps her to connect with her identity and her heritage, and how being on social media has helped broaden her perspective as an artist and a creator. Thank you so much for talking with me today and we're going to talk about um hero love of course which you worked on but your work as an illustrator your um i guess you could say your self-discovery as an artist and also as as someone of mixed heritage because you are afro-asian right and you and on twitter you, you you talk a lot about discovering and accepting your not only your heritage but your hair and the different mm-hmm. sizes and the different sides to you to your identity so we'll talk about those stuff that stuff and then like i guess basically anything can you can think of for today awesome thanks for having me i'm super excited to talk i know i'm so excited because we haven't talked um <laughs> since i saw since we saw each other in toronto and we didn't even take any pictures which is ridiculous i know we didn't, because we were talking so much and we were having a good time so that's that was good <laughs> i know um so we'll start with you giving a little bit of background about yourself so your name is perlo and you're an art- artist and illustrator so can you give us a bit more background on like your work and how you got into art and illustrating yeah so i primarily work in animation as a storyboard artist or a story artist um for a television and feature film i'm also yes like you said an illustrator i usually do children's illustration and i also am a comics artist so i make comics from time to time um and a lot of things that I tend to create are rooted in my experiences of being biracial, um, specifically being Asian and black, and as well as a lot of themes of like self-love and acceptance um, tend to pop up a lot in my content. So that's kind of what I center my creation creations around. So yeah, mm. I don't know if that was the, and how did you and how did you find your path in illustrating? Like, were you all always from uh, like I guess if if you read if you read your comic which is tension which we're going to talk about like you 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 show that you were interested in art from young because um in one of the panels it shows you after you graduated from 12th grade you went into college and you did art illustration in college and that you worked professionally but how did you find art to be your passion yeah so I was really interested in cartoons from like a really young age you know like Saturday morning cartoons was like a ritual for me so I definitely watched a lot of that um, growing up, but I don't think it was until I was in 10th grade that I decided to kind of look into more the career aspect of it, because before it was just like a hobby, like you would draw, um, you would paint occasionally as kids do, but um, I think, yeah, in the 10th grade, I was really like, oh, like actually, this is something that I really care about, like more than anything else, I really like animation, and I really like, you know, comics and stuff. Um, what if I could actually make these things? And then I kind of went further into like, oh my gosh, like what if I can actually study this and like make this a career for myself? So kind of in the middle of high school, I decided that, yeah, I'm going to go into animation. And I found a program that was really great um, at Capilano University in North Vancouver here. Um, And so I went there for a couple of years and it was great because animation is technically a trade. So Mm -hmm. it was only two years and I got like the education that I needed, got in, got out and then started working in the industry shortly after. Um, it was kind of weird because, like, in 10th grade, I was like, oh, yeah, like, this is my passion. I totally know. But when I entered college, I was like, okay, so I said to in high school, but I hope it carries through throughout my college experience. And, you know, because you know what I mean? Because there's always that kind of, like, backtracking, like, oh, is this actually what I really want to do? Or was I just, like, super a nerd for all these things? And I didn't really take into account what it's like to do it all the time. But I was really happy that by the end of my program, I didn't regret studying what I regretted. And it's totally fine if people do. 
because like that happens if you change your mind and you're allowed to change your mind um but i was really happy that i still enjoyed animation after schooling so when i got into the industry i was like yep confirmed i do enjoy what i do and i really would like to continue on to do this for a very long time no it's true because there's like for many people that you all you you you, you're sure that this is what you want to do and while you're in school you're like i'm positive that's what this is what i want to do and then comes to graduation time you're like oh my goodness so i'm sure i really want to do this (laughs) right (laughs) and then you have your you have your diploma your degree and whatever and then you go into the world of work where which is where you really do start to experience life because you have to where you have you you're working for someone like everything that you do has to fit this person's idea and and i guess it's different from writing not writing sorry doing art for yourself and doing it for other people because for yourself you know like you're you're what you're doing or like the for instance like the portrait or what piece of work you're working on can progress naturally to how to what you want it to be or may even change but if you're doing it for someone else it has to stay to that person's ideal right that you have to conform your work to fit theirs and like how has that been as an artist like doing stuff for you that can organically change as you're creating it whereas creating for someone else yeah totally I think it really depends on the creator because I had a friend um, in high school who really did not like the idea of conforming to somebody else's idea you know like they were really into like no this is my vision I don't want to work for somebody else's, you know, that kind of mentality, which is totally fine. Um, And being an independent artist allows you to do that. Um, Not that you're not independent when you work in animation, but it's just different. And I think one thing that I really like about animation is the collaborative process. So going into it, I already knew the nature of, you know, the industry being like, you're working together to create something together. So you're going to have to, you know, make some sacrifices, make some compromises. Um, But I think also in my specific position as a storyboard artist, I think there's a lot of creative uh, freedom Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, I don't know about creative control, but you get a lot of creative like input and like you get to closely work with directors and kind of, the creative process is really strong in that in in storyboards I feel like so I feel like personally even if I'm drawing characters that I didn't design backgrounds that I didn't design a story that I didn't write I still feel like I have a lot of room to contribute my own voice to the story um and I know that's not everyone's experience in the industry because the industry has many faces <laughs> and a lot of different types of experiences have popped up for different types of people but overall I feel like I haven't been super um, upset about having to, you know, work for someone else's vision or whatever. Because, again, like I really do like the team working kind of process of animation. But um, that being said, I, I also do stuff outside of my job to make sure that I still fulfill um, my like creative needs, too. That makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. And I and I'm guessing like maybe is you're able to find a different way to interpret work for when you're doing for other people because like for me as a writer, like I know in my head what I want to write, and as I'm writing, like this sometimes what I'm writing evolves from what I originally started, and then are sometimes it is exactly what I always imagined, but then I send it to the editor, and the editor is like, okay, let's change this, and it's and and um, what they're doing and that change, even though it may not necessarily have been something that you thought that you would have wanted. It, it actually does make what you're doing better and it actually helps me to learn how to phrase things differently because sometimes I can do yeah. I can get stuck in using particular phrases or framing how I frame like passages and stuff and like I find working with different editors it actually helps me to like look at writing different differently create creative ways and I'm guessing that maybe it's the same thing as a as an artist because you work for different people it helps you to learn to express your, your work differently this is so true it's like as an artist in general like and when I say artist I feel like musicians writers dancers wh- whoever does art and creates art I feel like we all have a certain toolbox and all we're trying to do is to fill that toolbox with different types of tools right and I think that we get that in places um, that are outside of ourselves a lot right like you're saying like working under different types of editors like you're like wow like I didn't think about this type of revision for myself but now that I know what that revision looks like I can incorporate that into my future writings and that's the same thing with you know creating animation and comics etc it's like oh I did not know that this way of for example problem solving would be able to get me a better result it's kind of like you don't have all the answers right so it's really nice to again like collaborate in that way to 
you know, see other perspectives and to, in the end, strengthen your uh, artistry in general. Mm. Right. And for and for you, like, how long have you been working professionally as an artist and, and an illustrator? Mm-hmm. So I'm just like counting. I'm like, oh, I think it's been it's been five years almost. Pretty close to five. Yeah. So like, I'm I'm sure like what has been what what is one thing that you've learned um, throughout those five years that has been invaluable to you? Whether it can be something as deep as like I've learned how to appreciate art even more, or it's just something. <laughs> it could be anything that you like that that you never thought of before, but you've learned throughout the five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that I, I learned is that there's um, there's space for everyone's perspective, mm. and I think that I like investing in my own voice has been a plus for my career um, in this industry. I you can get to a place where you work in animation and you are just working for someone else's vision, and some people just want to do that. Like that's too, totally cool. Like you just want to like work for um, some other studio and like make a story together like that. But when you come home, maybe you just disconnect from that and you're like, I got other hobbies. I got other things I want to do. Um, but for me, like I, my personal artwork and my professional artwork, I, I kind of weave the experiences, you know, and perspectives between the two um, a lot. So, um, yeah, so I, I really have been, I don't know. I, I feel like strengthening my own voice and what I like to create personally has really helped me on my journey professionally. Um, yeah, I don't know if I'm explaining that right, no, but no, like, yeah, yeah, like, what was it? Like, my most recent experience with me, like, like creating specifically like tension and about hair and stuff like that. Like, hair love was like a very specific story. Yes, it was universal at the same time, but um, one of the co-directors, Ever Downing, really wanted to have like a, a black female, like a black female storyboard artist on the team, just to kind of bring that type of perspective to the story, right? And so, because I had been talking about that through my personal artwork, then it was kind of like I was able to bring that to my professional experience too. Yeah, no, and actually that's a perfect area because it was my next question was going to be about Hero because um, I think for Hero, I think Hero Love, I think one of the reasons that that film or or even just before it was it became a finished product, like just the 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 Kickstarter and everything about it, a lot of people, including myself, were very excited about it because as black women, um, we've always we we have this very strong connection to our hair, and it can either be sometimes a positive connection or it can be a negative connection in the fact that sometimes we struggle with how our identities tie to our hair and it could mm-hmm. and it could and, it, and, and a lot of it has to do with how it's perceived so um so when you have a project like hair love and just even the and even or even the impetus for it because matthew cherry the reason he he got interested in creating the project was because he saw a video of a of a dad doing his daughter's hair and for many people and i remember i saw that video and it was like that was kind of my life like i didn't have my dad to do my hair but sometimes my brother would do my mine and my sister's hair and oh, cute. yeah but he would usually do that when he has somewhere to go and he was like listen girls i don't got time for you to do <laughs> he had the babysitting he had to go with his friends and he had to take us with him he's like i will do your identity <laughs> and i will do your hair but but, mm-hmm. but i kind of connected with that and, I, and a lot of black women actually actually connected with that and 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 for and it's kind of like how it's kind of funny how this film and this project has impacted the lives of so many different black women in particular like for you you mm-hmm. you, you gain this this i would say a, this whole boost to your um to your career because you you worked on this film that was that was being watched by millions of people like people were watching the kickstarter campaign and like the and like every time that matthew sent out um, an update like this is like literally going up to like thousands of people and then there's millions of people as they grew closer to the oscars and, yep. and like for you like i can't imagine like what that meant for you as an artist but also as a black woman working on a project about a black family and the title is here and you yourself had your own project made your own comic about your connection to here yeah it was honestly I had to remind myself that this is all real and that this is all happening yesterday because I was like this just is such a, a extraordinary experience you know like having a movie that yeah like you're saying that centers a black family that talks about 
hair, having a having a main character that has like kinky hair, you know what I mean? Not just like soft curls or whatever. Like, no, no, we're talking about like kinky coily hair. Um, and like, yeah, just I I just really have appreciated what it's done for the black community specifically and seeing the feedback of so many people saying that, you know, they felt seen or, you know, so many, even so many men being empowered by uh, the film being like, hell yeah, I'm a girl dad. Hell yeah. I do my daughter's hair, you know, like being empowered in that way. Um, And just like, yeah, I think it was just like mm, for the validation that we need to keep talking about this type of topic and that people are craving this. And it wasn't just all, you know, one-sided kind of like, oh, it's just my perspective. Or like, I don't really think it's that big of an issue. Like, no, people want to be talking about this. Mm. People need to hear stories like this and people want it, you know? So I, I thought it was just super amazing. And to see it go so far as winning an Oscar, I was like, this is confirmation times a thousand. Like, <laughs> we need these types of stories. And yeah, so it's just been really cool just to see. And my career has definitely been you know kind of put more under a spotlight or like my artwork has been put under a spotlight um, which has been really nice so I'm excited to see what happens in the future uh, just because you know being able to work on stories that really mean a lot to me like hair love is just it really means everything to me so right and 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 like for me like the thing is like I grew up in the Caribbean and and I, I've, I've always been surrounded by black women who knew how to do hair and whether it was natural hair whether it was like weaves or braids or like re- or if we relax our hair or straighten it as um, as we would say but mm-hmm. even growing up in that even growing up back home in Barbados I, there were still issues that I had to face um, with my hair because the thing is is my hair like I, I it, it's so weird to say but I I remember my mom would always teach my sister and I she like don't let anyone touch your hair and the reason and, and there's this thing in the Caribbean especially amongst the black community I guess uh, across the diaspora where people, we were like we were very sensitive of our hair mm-hmm. right and very protective of our hair because especially if what you had quote unquote nice hair and I mm-hmm. that, all, that phrase always made me feel uncomfortable because like, mm-hmm. we were my sister and I because our family we have like um, Madras Indian in our background because our grandfather and his side of the family is from Guyana so mm-hmm. and okay. so, so like we would have some my so my so like people were like everyone always wanted to touch our hair and then and I rather and the thing is like growing up around black people is it's different with people wanting to touch your hair but then when you when I, when I started to work I started working around with people of different races like white people and stuff and they would want to touch my hair and that right. I learned and I and that's when I started to learn the difference of there's people who would want to touch your hair out of like jealousy as you would want to say or they're just fascinated but but then you work around white people and it's like oh my god I know I know <laughs> and and I start. That's when I really started to realize, like, just how, just how powerful, I guess you could say, black hair is, and mm-hmm. and whether you're mixed or not. But it's like, you, like people are just like fascinated with our hair, and it's and I'm like, and that's when I, I was like, you know what? This it really is a bigger deal than I realized when I was a child or a teen, and and then and there's this connection we we have with our our identity, and it's like my mom always say, our hair is our crowning glory, and. And then I love that. Yeah, she'd also my sister. She's like, your hair's your crowning glory. She's like, you have to take care of your hair. You have to. You have to. You have to like like love it, right? And even with my hair cut short now, um, I've had my hair cut short now for probably. I was growing it out. I can't even think because I've been growing out my hair like for the. I've been might been natural for the last. 10 I'm wrong I would say probably the last 15 <laughs> years uh, mm-hmm. but I've, have, I've had it at different lengths I've like grown it out like to pass my shoulders I've had it in like bobs cuts weaves whatever mm-hmm. um, but but when you have a film like Hero Love where it's where it's showing that connection from young that how important it is for here as 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 children it, um, I don't think there it can't be it, I don't think it could ever be understated how important it is having a product like that and then for you for someone like you who are who are you're very vocal about your struggles um with with your identity on twitter but then there's also your comic that you you wrote called tension and i love the name because it, it like it has so much like context to it like if you if you're a black woman <laughs> and you you know about people saying about putting don't put too much tension on your hair but then you're talking about ten, the tension you feel about how people look and perceive you and perceive your hair 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And like the tension also of like a curl pattern, you know, the less tension there is, the softer the curl pattern, more tension, the curlier it is. And like, ooh, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot behind the word. I really like um, that I found a word that kind of was a good title for the book. <laughs> yeah. And what, and what what inspired you to start um, writing and creating tension? Because I imagine it because it's a very personal, it's a very personal comic, right? Like the story is very, it's very personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, I I don't know. I think one day, oh no, okay, so I have to think back. I'm like, so like, how did I come to that idea? Um, I really was wanting to kind of just try making art in a different medium. Um, and so I was like, all right, like, what kind of different artwork can I do? Don't really produce music. I don't really do pottery. Like, I was just kind of like trying to find a different way of storytelling. Um, and then I thought about comics because storyboards are very similar to comics, yet very different. But, you know, there are some transferable skills. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, like, let me try making a comic. And so I didn't know what to write about. I was like, okay, step two, what do I write about? And I was like, all right, so I'm just going to write about myself and and about an experience that really uh, affects me to this day. Like even writing tension during the whole process, I was still, you know, kind of working through my relationship with my hair um, and the negative parts of that relationship. But um, I really wanted to, yeah, just talk about that experience of mine just because I I feel like it was therapy for me in a sense, Um, but I also felt like people didn't, People don't really have material to read about that kind of experience, being like a biracial person, a non-white biracial person talking about their hair um, struggles growing up in a predominantly non-black, we call it environment. So I was like, all right, let me try and see if people are going to uh, read it. And there was a lot of like back and forth between me being like, my this is stupid. No one's going to read it. Who wants to hear about my story? And like me being really scared about that. Um, but I eventually finished it with a lot of procrastination. <laughs> uh, but I finished it. And then uh, when I put it out for people to, you know, to read, there's so much positive feedback from people of all backgrounds even like white ladies were like coming at me being like I love this story it was so sentimental to me I was like oh I'm glad thank you (laughs) so it's just it's really interesting like again like one of the things I really really loved about um, one of the producers on uh, Hair Love Karen Tolliver um, said about you know Hair Love she said that the more specific the story is the more universal it becomes and I really feel like my book was so damn specific like it was quite like I my background is very specific so I didn't think anyone would relate to it but it was quite the opposite and I was like wow like this is really interesting and, and really great and uplifting to hear no it is very universal because the thing is is like I even though I didn't experience like what what you and um, went through as a young person I can experience it as an adult because once I moved to to Canada, I didn't really have anyone who could do my hair. And, right. And even though we had like a few black women in our lives, a few black Asian women in our lives, like they weren't they weren't able to do my hair because I have my hair is my natural is very thick. And mm-hmm. but then and and the texture is very hard to handle because my hair is like four different textures. Like some of it is like bone straight and some of it is what we would call like four C hair, you know, like super thick and coily. So it's like extremely difficult mm-hmm. to handle. And I right. to do my own hair. And I would and I would do my own my sister's here but like you know you don't want to I don't want to be like doing twists I would do my hair twists and everything but then it it started to break off like uh, the, the, ch- the changing climate and and the water and everything mm-hmm. started to my hair so my hair was breaking for like six months and then it and then it started to catch back itself I started to like really care for it and I had to and I started to make my own products and stuff because I didn't have the products that I had back home right and I had to learn how, I had to learn how to do products for, uh, make my own products and everything but then okay. when I started going to school here I was surrounded by people of like all races and everything and people would always make comments about my hair and I got very self-conscious about my hair I started putting up my hair in buns a lot kind of like you did in the in the in kind of like you did right I always I started to wear buns a lot at school and I because I was very self-conscious about people like oh your thing and and 
Right. And the thing is, they seem like compliments, but as you said, like, you don't know if they're backhanded compliments. You're like, are you being really nice? Are you just being, or are you going to snicker about my head? Because I, and, and people think we're being too sensitive, but I'm like, nah, I've, 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 I've <laughs> no. I'm like, I know, like, I, I know what a compliment sounds like. And then, when, so when people would comment on my hair, and I would be like, but then I, I eventually got to become comfortable with it again. I started to wear it out in twist outs and in afros, and 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 living here in Canada is very different because even though like people always say Canada is very multiracial, but the thing is, is a lot of it, it has a lot of cultures and people from different races who don't normally interact with um, black people, and particularly mm-hmm. Caribbean people. And mm-hmm. so I would get people make comments about my hair and then about my accent and everything, and then there's so there's this whole thing where you're like you're 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 like very defensive and yeah. you want to protect yourself in like and a way to protect yourself outwardly is how you is your hair and I always find it interesting how we are, are the way we treat our hair reflects how we feel about ourselves <laughs> yeah no it's, it's, it's so and this is something I've learned since I this is stuff I knew back home in, Bar- in Barbados but I didn't it didn't really like click for me until I moved here and I would say probably even in the, like, the last seven years is when I really started to be more confident in my, my hair and myself so, so, right. so like you said, the story is specific, but it is universal because there's a lot of things that I connected to, even as a grown woman. Yeah, it's super interesting. And did you go to school in Toronto too? Yeah, or? I, because I, I, I had, I had, because I'm 36, so I graduated back home from from secondary school in 2000. But when I moved here, and if I wanted to do college, because there was a, I think they changed it now. But when I wanted to to go to school here, they said I had been out of school for five years, for for more than five years. So I had to get a Canadian high school diploma. So I actually, okay, went, I, right. I ended up going to um, an adult high school. So I completed from I, I completed from grade nine to grade 12 in one year. <laughs> Look at you! <laughs> I, I I did all of that in one because I'm like I am not doing this again. So I did like all right. subjects and everything in one year. And yeah. So I the thing is I was working with I was going to school with adults my age, people mm-hmm. who were older, and then there were like teenagers, and then a lot of them were people who were Canadian. But then there's people from like Uzbekistan. I I, I went to school with, like um, Russians with people from China. Um, like right, I went right. to school with a lot. Of, there weren't that many West Indians too. So like, I was one of the very few Caribbean people. So there was that whole thing with like oh you're from the Caribbean everybody's I'm not Jamaican people Caribbean is not listen I'm like just because you're West Indian you do not default to Jamaican (laughs) exactly that's that's one of my first things would be like I am not Jamaican I am Beijing okay (laughs) facts facts that's so interesting and like even when you said like people's like here in Vancouver it's very much white people and Asian people are like the two main uh, groups of people and demographic Uh, but even in Toronto it's so fascinating to hear too like even though there are people from different races everyone's like proximity or point of reference of what blackness is still is like not <laughs> very diverse you know like sure you may be not a white person you could be asian you know mm-hmm. but you still have no point of reference on what it's like to like interact see talk with and understand a little bit about different types of black people like you're saying like even west indian people like they will have be different from mm-hmm. someone who is Nigerian. You know what I yep. mean? Like somebody, like it'll be different. Um, so that's super interesting, and yeah, just the treatment is is really, yeah, it's just really interesting to be othered, um, even amongst POC. It is. It's, it's so because you'd be like, because that's what I mean. For me, it was like a, like moving to Canada was an extreme cultural shock for me because. As I said, I, I worked I, I I worked with people like from different races because I worked in like different um, industries. I worked in the tourism industry. I worked in the service industry. I, I've worked. I've been a barista. I've been a legal secretary. Um, <laughs> I've, mm-hmm. been a, I've been a receptionist at a property plan at an international property uh, property management company. Uh, I've worked at universities. I've worked at the University of the West Indies. I've worked at a, um, at, a at a research station which was owned by McGill. University, which is in BC, is McGill in BC? No, McGill is in um, Ontario, isn't it? In Mont- is it? Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so bad. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is, it is. Yeah, <laughs> so like I were, and so like I would so the people that I work with, they were like, Bates working there, but like all of the heads of departments were 
uh, from Canada, right? And we mm-hmm. had students, a lot of our students were Canadian students. And so like, you had people who were white and Indian and stuff. But even then, they still, they would come to Barbados for the first time. And like, I would interact with them a lot because I worked in their library. And it would be like fascinating to see people come to Barbados, come to a country with predominantly black people. And then they would still be surprised. They'd be like, oh my gosh, you guys are way more advanced than I thought you were. I'm like, yes, we're not swinging from trees. <laughs> This, this is shit in like the like early in the early 2000s yeah people I would still get comments people like, oh my god you guys are way more advanced than you yeah I'm like yeah we're not swinging from trees this is oh my goodness <laughs> right everyone's exposure is just so it's just so fascinating what you're saying just to see like wow like you really don't know exactly. <laughs> anything yeah, I'm like new people like you're a university student but you still don't know much but then doing so working from doing it by Barbados and then coming to, to Toronto it was a, a culture shock for me because I face bigotry and racism back home, but coming the bigotry and racism here is a completely different. It's it's very different. It's, mm. it's it's very different. Like like I remember my first week here in Canada. I went to Eaton Center, and I was mm-hmm. handing out resumes. And I went into the store. I wasn't. I was just like walking. This was my first time Eaton Center by myself. And one of the stores I went into was it um Petit. Oh my gosh, is it Laura? Laura Laura Petit? Yeah, it was Laura Petit. And I got into the door and I thought I was dressed very nicely because I was a handout resume or whatever. And the lady was like, I'm sorry, we don't have anything here for you. I'm like, excuse me? Uh -uh. I'm like, what what does that mean? She's like, oh, we don't have anything here for you. And I'm like, right for you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, okay, I got you. I clocked you. And then I went into Aritzia. And yeah. I've only been to Aritzia twice in the 10 years I've been living in Canada. The first time was that week when the girl followed me all around the store. And I'm, Man. And I'm like, you know what? I don't need your $90 plain white t-shirt. So I looked her, I looked her right in the eye and I said this. I said that to her. I'm like, I looked her, I'm like, I'm like, do you have nothing better to do? I'm like, I'm not, I'm not here to steal your, t- your $90 t-shirt. And I walked out. And the only other time I went back into Aritzia after that was because I was looking for something for a friend of mine. But I've been followed around. People always think Canada is very um, accepting. I'm like, listen, Canada has bigots and racists too. They're just weird. They're just a tad more subtle with it. Just a tad, just a little bit. I'm I'm like, it's still, it's still pretty obvious. Like, but I don't know. I feel like. Also, I don't, I don't really know what it's like on the East Coast because I haven't lived on the East Coast before in Canada, but in the West Coast, like, passive behavior is very, like, passive-aggressive uh, behavior is very much the thing here. <laughs> so you don't really outwardly say something, but, you know, like microaggressions, like you, you kind of imply something, oh, yeah. you dance around the thing you actually want to say um, because it's so subtle and you can't really pinpoint it. People get all, oh, but that's not racist. I was just trying to blah, blah, you know, and they all get all flustered and stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh my God, we can't talk about it because you don't think you're actually being problematic. Exactly. Um, but that's totally true. Like even walking in stores, like I remember this one time, there's a store, I don't know if you have it over in Toronto, but there's a store called J2 and it's kind of like a super hype beast kind of high tops, like Adidas everywhere, that kind of store. Um, but they have like a wall of sneakers and I was really into sneakers at that time. I was like, all right, I'm still kind of into sneakers, but like really into sneakers. So I was like, you know what? I kind of want some really nice sneakers. I'm just going to go to the back of the store and like check it out. But like me, like browsing through the store and stuff like that, like I was being followed by like all these like workers and I was like, are you kidding me right now? I'm just like by myself with the tiniest bag looking at your merchandise and like this store is like predominantly like a you know it feels like a hip hop type of store too right yeah. I was like you guys suck I'm like you're so into the culture but like as soon as we walk in the room you're like oh my god we have to be on guard like it was such a weird experience and that happens though quite often when I go shopping oh, like yeah. people kind of keep an eye yeah that's happened to me that, that still happens to me 10 years and it happens all the time and I can tell you stories about myself and, and things my sister oh my god my sister has had moments that made me want to fight for her but the thing Man. is like, you mentioned like, the thing is like there these is um going back to the whole cultural thing is like as black people like people always want our culture and this is something I talk about a lot on Twitter and, mm-hmm. and you talk about it to where is like and um, where is and I, I this is going to touch a little bit closer to home for you because I, I like for Asians and the reason I want to talk about this is because for someone like you who who is not your biracial but your 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 ethnicity is 
um, is black and Asian. And, and then there, there's just, there's this thing where you have two sides of you and they're, they're both sides that, that have faced like extreme hardships and discrimination as a race, right? Like Asian people face a lot of discrimination as well. But then, yeah. but then for you is that you, you, you have this, you, it's that you're like, I, I imagine it's, it's like kind of, you, you have all these conflicts for you because you, you grew up in a society where people don't, you, you're struggling to find out who you are. Which side of you do you acknowledge more? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's super weird, especially growing up in, in Vancouver, where I didn't see myself, like, on a daily basis, when I walk down the street, I mean, not now, because, like, y'all should be home, but, <laughs> um, you know, like, on a daily basis, like, going on the bus, I'm the only black person. Walking in the street, I'm the only black person. Looking at the ads everywhere, there's no black people. So mm-hmm. I don't see myself reflected in society. So, like, that already is, like, really disorientating. And then being Chinese kind of helped. Like, sure, I can, you know, relate to my culture through that perspective, but I'm not Chinese passing, right? Mm. Um, and, like, I don't get treated as such. Like, I don't get treated as a Chinese person off of that. So, uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, like, wow, like, this is my community, but you don't really accept me even though I belong to y'all. Like, it's a weird, yeah, it's a weird disconnect. Um, and I struggled a lot with it over the years. And now I'm, I've, kind, I've kind of, you know, come to accept how things are. Um, there's a whole conversation I was having with some friends um, a bit ago being like even though I come from two you know communities like you said that have faced hardships and that are both minorities there's still that like hierarchy of like model minority hierarchy you know like Asians are further up the list than black people and it's like your proximity to whiteness will not save you (laughs) you not standing in solidarity with black people is not cool. Like, it's just like, I don't know. It's just, it's really, really apparent for me specifically because when I show up for both my communities, you know, black people are out here supporting, you know, Chinese folks. But when the tables are turned, like, I don't see that reciprocation. So it's really frustrating. <laughs> and, and how does that affect you, like, personally? Because I am um, recently, you did um, a series of mini panels, I'm calling them, on Twitter where you talked about trying to connect to your, um, your heritage through your language, through, through language, because that you were talking about your mom. Um, yeah. You didn't learn Cantonese as a child because she didn't think it was necessary. But then right. as an adult, you're realizing that you, that not having that aspect of your identity a part of your your life growing up like language is a very important thing like um mm-hmm. as a region like i I've, i and it's weird to say but we back home in barbados we're taught basically technically two languages we're taught standard english in school right. <laughs> yeah. and then at home we speak dialect right right because for us we are we're taught that Standard English is the, is the professional way to speak to people in an office or in, or mm-hmm. to like a business meeting or whatever. You have to speak mm-hmm. standard English. But then at home, you have to think. And I actually had to learn to speak dialect. I, I was taught dialect in secondary school because my I, my mom had only my mom and my and our dad had only taught us standard English. We spoke Queen's English at home, and I got mm-hmm. to school. I got into secondary schools, and people were like. With what um, I would I, would, I used to be called tea, um, tea time and a tea time cookie is um, is a chocolate it's like an it's like it's um I'm trying to think about North American equivalent it's not it's like an Oreo it's like the, uh, it's like a Beijing Oreo so I was oh. like, brown on the outside white on the inside so they used to call me that they used to call me uh, um, because because I had the long hair and then I spoke with this posh this po- this posh <laughs> way of speaking and I used to play the violin and a lot of kind of stuff but mm-hmm. but 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 you is it's weird being able having to learn to connect with your identity through language that way and for you like you it would you thought it would have been natural right like your mom would have been happy to teach you Cantonese but right. but she she didn't and now you're trying to right. re, 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 not even to rediscover you're trying to discover it like from scratch for yourself pretty much it's, yeah language is a huge part and I know there are some people who you know are like fully Chinese and like Chinese passing and everything and they're like I know the language and I still feel a disconnect and I'm like oh man like there's just so many layers to everyone's experience with their own like their own experience to their culture that they belong to but for me specifically yeah just not having that piece of the puzzle 
um, really affects how I understand Cantonese culture and how I interact with folks. Um, and even like, even though um, I talk about like a lot of my you know Chinese heritage because like I was raised by my single Chinese mother and lots of my family is here and that's the you know that's the culture I grew up in. Um, but even I, <laughs> I went to Toronto for the first time last year in September. That's when I met you, mm-hmm. um, and I stayed with some extended family, and um, they're all Jamaican too. And they were ta- they were talking in Patois, and I was like, "Listen, I don't understand what you're saying." <laughs> just the, one of the one of the one of the aunties looked at me. She just like stared at me. She was like, "All right, you need to come around here a little bit more often." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I'll try," <laughs> because like I don't I don't understand Patois either. Like some things I I understand, like some keywords. Um, but if someone talks really quickly, I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. Or if something is like um, more far removed from the original, quote unquote, original standard English words, and I'm like, I I don't know what that is. There was like a, a term. I think she was my like my auntie was saying. Um, I think it, it was like licky licky or something like that. Oh, licky licky. Uh, yeah, and that's greedy. That means greedy or something. Yeah, our, our yeah the, our our bases would say it too licorice. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I have no idea where yeah. that word comes from. Wait, I think I think it probably has. Um, it's it's yeah, because it's a diminutive of a of a British word or maybe French. I'm not sure, but like like each island has their own version of these kind of type of words. For like Jamaicans, they would say "you're too licky licky," or Bajans would say "you're too licorice." Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And that's the thing, like, you, you, like, you want to, okay, I, I, okay, it just came to me. So it's like, when you have, like, a plate of food and, and you know you want to lick the food, you lick the plate, you like, you say, lick the uh-huh. plate clean. So mm-hmm. that's, so that's where, that's where those come from. You say, lick the plate clean. That's when you are, it's not necessarily only that the food tastes good, but you want more. And you, you want more. You want more. And you, 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 so, and then it's like, you, you just want to keep eating. You don't care about anybody else. So you, you, you okay. lick the plate. So you say, you're too lick the <laughs> And then you say, yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Say like that, I would never guess. That, I, like she said that to me, and I squinted, and I was like, "Huh? <laughs> what did you say?" Yeah, that's like, they, they, like unless unless you know the context, like even if, even if you walk into someone hearing, you can walk in a conversation, you have you don't know what they're talking about. You would never understand unless you are you are familiar to hearing it. You like you're supposed to the Christian. You have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Right, right. And so, like, it's like you're saying, like, language is, like, such a huge part of learning your culture. So, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to reclaim that for myself because there's a lot of reasons why uh, I wasn't, you know, exposed to that, um, which I'm trying to, like, work through and be less salty about. <laughs> but it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting experience. Yeah, but it's also interesting is that you're using your art to, like, work through it, and then you're also sharing it with people because, like, for some people, be like, um, why are you, like, you're talking about it's fine but why do you have to talk about it on Twitter and whatever but like, and like for you like, the, I, like you said like even like creating tension like for you this was a cathartic experience for you and like I'm guessing for you this is a way of they're sharing it with others helps you to be more open about it with yourself because that's the way I'm looking at it because that's kind of how I look at my writing like when I do my writing like I'm I'm very personal and that yeah. I get a lot of revelations personal revelations when I'm writing that some things I don't even occur to me until I'm actually like typing it out yeah I think that's so beautiful too just because for the lot of time I don't know why I just associated writing with being a very non-personal thing mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm writing stories do you Radical things that happen to these set of characters that are not in any way or shape or form tied to my personal experience. I don't know why I thought that. Or like people just didn't want to read something that was too close to what I experienced because it would be too off-putting for some reason. I thought that. Um, but like, you know, writing from your experiences is actually from from what I've seen so far from the reception of my work is what people want to see and like a lot of people want to have these discussions and yeah I don't know I, I think it's definitely more of a positive thing than, than a negative for sure um, and I'm sure like yeah like you were saying like um, finding kind of your own like revelations with you know writing something even if it's not something you don't understand suddenly you write it down and you're like oh wait maybe that is how I feel about this thing like you know like just writing it out without even like being a step ahead of yourself sometimes mm. kind of teaches yourself 
about this one thing that you're trying to work through. That makes sense. Yeah, and and has social media helped with help me with that a lot because um, because I mean we started following each other on Twitter. Like I probably I would say more than a year ago, probably something like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like and like for you, has social media helped with that a lot because like you you you're because you're sharing so much of yourself on social media, but it like. Um, as I said, it, so some people may think that it's oversharing, but do you think that this is some that that this is one of the benefits of social media for you because it helps you to be more open for others and your and the response you're getting from other people? Like, do you think that that's like that that's what's helped you so far, and like that's helped you to become more more comfortable? I think so. Yeah, because how can I say? Yeah, no, I think so. <laughs> because um, it also, like, gives me some sort of, like, validation that, like, other people, you know, have these experiences. And, like, it creates community is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like I'm creating community every time I talk about something personal because a lot of people are like, this relates to my story. Oh, my gosh, I've also experienced this, like, that kind of stuff. Um, and as my social media platform has grown, um, that's only expanded. And I've seen more people wanting to hear these stories. And, like, I've had people come up to me being like, oh, my gosh, this is reading this makes me want to tell my story about whatever and I'm like that makes me so happy to hear because I'm like everyone again like there's space for everyone's perspective you know on you know talking about something that you've had to work through and trying to uplift people like I really feel like that's something that everyone has a story about um and that's very that's very specific to their experience that they can share so yeah I don't know I feel like social media has definitely been a help um and like it has been like again like kind of like therapy for me mm-hmm. <laughs> um in a sense and I didn't really anticipate it being that way um but I guess that's just kind of my relationship with art in general where like I feel like art has saved me kind of like I don't I really don't know what I would do if I didn't have art or if I wasn't an artist I don't think I would be very well <laughs> Yeah, because it's, it's your it's your outlet, right? It's the way that you you get things, you get what was like bothering you on the inside out, and you're able to like examine it and like really look at it and to see exactly what about this thing is is bugging you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and another thing that I, I that I have to do, I wanted to talk about is food. So um, hey, <laughs> talking about food, <laughs> and and like uh, which is which is like the thing is with both of our our cultures, like the two sides of our culture. So like for both West Indian culture, Caribbean culture, and Asian culture, food plays a very big part in both mm-hmm. cultures, and and it's interesting how we are able to tell stories about ourselves through food because like. One of the last ones I think we had talked about was the one where you made, um, you had made the egg and the fried bread, right? Yeah. And and I and 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 you talked about congee. But the thing is, is it's always interesting to see how there's a lot of similar dishes in different cultures, and, mm-hmm. and, how, and how these different dishes um, give us. Um, a sense of like different evoke different um what's the word I'm looking for evoke different um memories like for like when I saw the picture you made with the um with the egg and the and the fried bread it took me right back to when I used to go to um church camp and like every every, when the people who had to make breakfast like one of the things we always made for breakfast was fried bread so you do the fried Mm -hmm. bread and you do the scrambled egg and then you have like cheese and eat it with the bread and then you did congee but not for babies we don't have congee we have porridge and for and for and for our part is usually like cornmeal or we call it cornmeal pack and it was and they thought and they looked at it and it took me right back to like those days going to church camp and like back home on Sunday mornings and and doing that kind of stuff so it's, it's always interesting how you can be from two different cultures but there's always something that you do find connecting like and we've, we talked about this previously where I find what our Caribbean culture and Asian culture actually does have a lot in common so like yes. how, how we look at food and how we look at um, relationships with like our elders and even the way how we behave at home like taking off your shoes as soon as you come through the door is like one of the biggest yeah. <laughs> right yeah and that's uh i mean just going back to like one of your other questions about like you know navigating my two cultures of being black and being you know chinese and stuff like that like that's why it also can be very frustrating because there's so many commonalities between the two cultures like you're saying like Especially with food. I feel like, yeah, that's so interesting that you're saying, like, uh, cornmeal porridge um, and congee. Like, congee is technically just it's rice porridge, right? Like, yeah. it's, you know, very similar. Um, and, like, yeah, I just, I just feel like 
I've gained so much understanding of my two cultures um, through food because a lot of teachers that I've had um, didn't really, you know, teach me in any other way but food. Like, oh, your aunties want to make sure you're fed. Your grandma wants to make sure you're fed. You start cooking with your mom because you need to learn how to make this dish or whatever. And you start to know ingredients. You start to know the history of things. And yeah, they're attached to memories and they're attached to certain terms that evoke, you know, certain memories too. And it's just, it's really cool to see, you know, the the commonalities between specifically, specifically for me, like Jamaican and Chinese culture too. And just seeing that bridge there and being like, there's a connection guys. Like there's a connection and we can come together and talk about these things and like um, appreciate one another's culture um, through food. And I think it's like, I don't know. I personally, I'm in love with eating (laughs) and I really like eating new things. Um, I know some people aren't super enthusiastic about food in that way, but I just think it's just such a phenomenal way of connecting with people, understanding people. Like, um, I don't know what it's called in, uh, in Jamaica, but it looks like... I don't know if you know what a long on uh, fruit is. Um, it kind of looks like a lychee fruit, but it's brown on the outside. It's not red and fuzzy and spiky, but it's brown. And you open it, and it's kind of it looks like a jelly, but there's a black ackee? seed. It's not. It's not ackee, oh, though. They just, it's they just call it ackee, and I think Jamaicans call it guinup. Yes, guinup. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They just call it guinup, and J- uh, Jamaicans call it guinup. Um, you call it yeah. ackee, sorry. Uh, for um, for Jamaicans, ackee is something completely different. Yeah, it's different. It's different. Yeah, yeah. But um, get up is what it is. Yes. So get up um, it exists in Jamaica and also um, in China. There's a fruit called long an or like lychee is mm-hmm. um, another kind of cousin of that fruit. But I'm just like, you know, like eating long an before, but not eating a get up before ever in my life. Like I was able to kind of like transfer kind of like my experience being like, oh, this looks like something similar I've eaten before and I tasted it and it was really similar. And I was able to have a conversation um, about it, about how this and um, the fruit back from China, like, relate to each other. And, like, it was just, I don't know, it was just really cool to kind of, kind of connect to that thing, that connection. So, yeah, I don't know, food's really important. <laughs> it is food, food, food. It's the it's language of love and life. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I'm actually poetic, but no, honestly, like I love food. Honestly, like. though, it's so important. It's so and like storytelling um, is like a huge part of you know sharing food, especially like when you traditionally um, and like probably West Indian cultures across you know the Caribbean and like um, across China, like it's a very communal activity eating mm-hmm. usually. Like you eat with like people from different generations or, you know, at least like it's not really a solitary thing. Um, so I feel like the story does get shared um, through eating and it's just cool. Yeah, no, for us, it's like for Bajans and, and other Caribbean people, it's like food is a, com- a communal experience. Like even if you're at home and even if you're eating by yourself, like we tend to like take the food into the living room because that's usually that's like the family room. Right. And like very rarely we would eat at the table and is is that everyone just gravitates to like the living room where you can sit on the floor and the sofas or whatever and just eat. And like you, you learn so much about culture and what and everyone's experiences eating like just like just random. You can have random conversations and and then it can get very deep and stuff and it's all done over food and I think that's one of the reasons I love like Asian dramas like food plays a very big part in Asian dramas and like I just love how food is portrayed like for for mm-hmm. for me food isn't just food like I love to look at food and I I, 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 love to, I just like looking at food and I love to watch people cook food and the preparation to food like I watch a lot of like food shows and and even if it's something that I wouldn't eat I just love the way people just like look at food and like think I'm like food is more than just food people it's life and Right. And, 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 like, and that's something I wish I've been thinking about recently because like especially for Bajans they are because so much of our food is inspired by I would say um British British the British palate because like let's face a lot of our stuff comes from like was as is like a trickle down from slavery so it was based on what the British brought over and like and so I, I have this thing where I'm trying to find a, a connection to my African roots I once this whole coronavirus thing is over and I can leave my house and I can <laughs> I plan my things I want to start like experimenting more with um with 
African foods. And I have to say African foods because like, I don't know specifically if my if my lineage goes back to Ghana, to Nigeria, more than Latin Nigeria, because that's where a lot of um well slaves were brought over from. But like probably I just wanna like start to discover my African roots through food. And 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 it's just something that we that we can all find common. Like, if there's no matter what culture you're from, you all have one thing in, in common. And that's food. Right? That's, that's the baseline, literally. Travel anywhere, you can enjoy and eat like the people who live there. They're welcoming you in, most likely. They're like, oh, good, you know how to eat this. Oh, good, you enjoy this. You like my cooking? Good, we can talk. Like, exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's definitely true. And, like, yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, like, food is definitely just, like, an experience. It's not just, for me, it's not just eating so I'm not hungry anymore. Like, not making hunger go away. Like, for me, yeah, it's about building community. It's about seeing certain colors, about eating things with different textures, with different flavors, different notes. Like, it's really interesting how, like, I've noticed that I tend to like saltier things um, than sweet. And when I eat Asian food, that's what I expect. Um, sometimes when I eat more North American knives, uh, Asian food, Chinese food specifically, I'm like, wow, this is really sweet. Or even Japanese food um, in North America, I'm like, whoa, this is really sweet, but it's definitely you know, kind of catered to the demographic in North America. That's why it's been adjusted. But um, it's just even interesting to see those flavors. Being like, yeah, I like saltier flavors in uh, Chinese cuisine. Um, in like Jamaican cuisine as well, like savory flavors are really a thing. Um, and I really like that too. So it's just kind of like exploring what each culture has to offer. Like a lot of um, things in like Korean culture, I'm like, oh, I really like vinegary foods or like pickled foods, you know? Like that was something that like I discovered um, mostly with Korean food at first. Like it exists in Chinese culture too, but like I remember Korean food being like kind of more of the introduction to like fermented food for me. And I was like, ooh, this is really delicious. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love Korean food. Um, Okay, so we're going to wrap up. So I want to ask you like... um, is there any products that you're going to be working on? Because like, as, like we, we we talked about like the work that you've been doing recently in exploring like your um your heritage through language, and then that like, you were talking about food on Twitter and like stuff. Is there any plan to like kind of create another tension, but this time about food or maybe about possibly about language? Yeah, there's um, there's something that I'm working on. I don't know how much I can talk about it right now, but um, it definitely involves exploring, um, you know, heritage and um, navigating identities through cultures that you belong to. Um, it's probably going to be a comic. Uh, so look out for that in the next few months and see how it goes because I... I was actually um, doing some writing for it right now. So um, before I called you or before, you, you know, we started chatting. So um, that's on the way. That's really exciting. Um, but yeah, just I always do personal artwork um, and kind of little snippets of comics about that here and there. So that's going to keep coming. So. Well, I can't wait to see because I, I, I'm looking forward to the f- <laughs> the pictures about the food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and um, and let me see. So I guess that's a bit wrap up. So, is there anything that you've been anything that you've been entertaining yourself with? Because like you all know, everyone's going to be entertained while we're all under mm-hmm. quarantine. Is there anything new that you found to entertain yourself with? Like maybe a, t- a TV show, maybe games, a book. Yes, all those things. Um, I have recently, I bought Animal Crossing. So I've been obsessed with Animal Crossing lately. It's so cute. And it's my first time playing it. I played like the phone version, like mm. Pocket Pocket Camp, um, which is so cute. Uh, so I'm into that right now. I finished some series on uh, Netflix. One was uh, Haji Giri. It was like this Yakuza show. Oh, I, I have to watch that. That's on my watch list. I'm looking for it. The, the two leads are so cute. But yes. <laughs> it's good. I like it a lot. I mean, I'm always down for a Yakuza like mm-hmm. film um, or not film, like series or whatever. Um, so that was, yeah, that was really good. Um, and then I also watched, um, what do you call it? The Ghost Bride recently. That was really good um, oh on Netflix. Yeah, I think, isn't that a, that's a C drama, right? A Chinese drama. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know if it's Taiwanese or not, or Chinese. It kind of looks Taiwanese, but I'm not sure. I think there's um, two. I think there's two versions. Because I think I started watching it, and then it was like, meh, it wasn't really my cup of tea. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe there's two. I don't know. 
Um, I watched that. I don't know. I watched that and then went off today. I've been just watching. Oh, and now I'm doing Star Trek Deep Space Nine because I've never watched it before. So I'm, I'm watching it now. Yeah, very excited about that. Yay! So, oh, yes. So you're going to see Jordy and... No, wait, no, I'm not thinking. No, um, Star Trek Deep Space Nine is... Um, oh, my gosh. What's the name of the captain's name? I can't believe I'm Cisco. forgetting his name. Cisco. Yes. Yeah. Oh, he, that's really... That one has some really good episodes. One of my favorite episodes is where he um he becomes a writer and he's living on Earth, but it's like it's really good. And that's one. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. I I love Star Trek. I love D Space Nine and of course Star Trek Next Generation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the whole you'll enjoy it. You'll 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 enjoy D Space Space Nine has some really good storylines. Good. Yeah. Everyone, because I talked about it on Twitter, they were like, oh my God, please live tweet. Because like everyone has watched it. I feel like that I talked to and I'm like, damn, like I really need to get on board. Like everyone loves Deep Space Nine. I need to watch Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Commander Cisco is, yeah, he's a great captain. He's a, he's a great leader. Yeah. I love him so far. He's cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think that's it. So again, thank you so much for talking with me, Pearl. This has been so much fun. Chatting. Yes, it's so fun. <laughs> and I can't wait for us to meet up again. Whether it's in Toronto or Vancouver, I do want to come to Vancouver one of these days. But like, oh yes, I know. But um, travel fees because flight to Vancouver is ridiculously expensive. And I don't listen. Why. It's it's a scam. Like flying within people are always like, oh my god, why do Canadians never travel within Canada? I'm like, listen, it's so expensive to fly within Canada. Like sometimes, like I don't know. Last time I paid for a flight to Toronto, and I thought it was cheap. And it might not be cheap, but I thought it was cheap. It was like four hundred something, um, and I thought it was cheap because usually it's like six hundred something. Yeah, and I'm that like, is right? And I'm like, you know what? I could go. Oh, you know why it was four hundred something? Because <laughs> it was a one way. There you go. See. <laughs> Yikes. Um, so, yeah, we always end up traveling to, like, L.A. or something, mm-hmm. people in Vancouver, or, like, Hawaii, because it's, like, I don't know, a little bit cheaper. But, yes, if you find a low price, come on over to the West Coast. I will. Okay, again. So, again, thank you so much, Pearl. And again, we first to chat again. Thank you for having me. No problem. Thanks. Bye. 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 Okay. Why do I hang up here now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, uh, I'm recording. Let me stop. I'm gonna stop the recording. Uh, I'm nervous because I did an interview the other day, and the thing mm-hmm. did not record. And it was so at the end, it was like, oh my <gasps> no! Yes, bro. When I tell you, I, oh my god, I was like, no, and it can't really, be happening. And it was a really good interview too. Ah, crap! So I'm supposed to interview the lady. It's the director. I'm gonna interview her again tomorrow. I'm like, oh my god. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Make sure the record button is on. <laughs> listen, because it was because she did it through WhatsApp, and I didn't want to do it through WhatsApp because, it could, but she's in LA, right? No, she's in Philadelphia. So the okay. uh, so the publisher said she prefer to do it WhatsApp. I'm like, okay. So I downloaded this stupid app that's supposed to record <laughs> WhatsApp calls, and the freaking thing did not record. And I'm like, damn it, no. <laughs>